I'm going to start reading in verse number 12, and we'll read down through verse number 20. Uh, we'll be looking at some other portions of the Scripture in there uh, beyond what we're reading, but I do want to read these verses to you. Beginning in verse 12, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Father, once again we come to you. We ask for the next few moments that you will guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. May we understand clearly the teaching of this passage. And may it be a help to us in many ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the big problems in the church in Corinth was the worldliness that had crept in. And Paul uh, had to write several times to them. Uh, to try to get the world out of the church. The, the city of Corinth was a very, very wicked city. There was a lot of uh, immorality that went on there. And Paul addresses this, and he uses this as an occasion to teach a very valuable truth to, um, to the folks that are in the church there at Corinth. And uh, I want us to back up just a little bit uh, in verse number 9. And I want us to look at this to give it a little more context where we're headed. But in verse number 9 of chapter 6, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And I love this verse in verse number 11 because it says this, And such were some of you. Aren't you glad that that's the case, that such were some of us? We're not that anymore, but we might have, might have been at one point. But notice what it says here, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Then Paul goes on to talk about this lawfulness. He says, All things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And uh, wonderful, wonderful truth that Paul teaches here. Just because we have liberty in Christ doesn't mean that we can return to our old sinful ways. And this is what the church in Corinth was doing. He's trying to remind them that they had trusted Christ as their Savior by faith. And he uses the illustration of the immorality as one that has joined himself either to the world, and the Bible refers to that here in the, in the, the passage that we read, uh, of joining to a harlot, and that this, uh, that this shall be one flesh, but he that joineth himself to the Lord is one spirit. In other words, he was saying, once you're saved, don't go back to the old lifestyle. 
It's lawful for you, but it is not expedient. It's lawful for you, but you don't want to be brought under the power of any. And so he's going to teach them some lessons. I'm going to give you several points this morning of what takes place in the Christian's life because of Calvary. Because of salvation, what God does for us is justification that He gives us. There are several things that happen in the life of believers. First of all, we find that Paul teaches them that it is very easily understood. In fact, he begins the verse by saying what? This, this is an expression of, I can't believe you don't understand this yet. This is, this is Christianity 101. This is the milk of the Word kind of truth. And when he uses this phrase, what, this, it's with, a, with an incredulous attitude of, I can't believe that this is something that you need to be taught in this matter. And he says, what? Know ye not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. For you're bought with the price. There's two main principles, two main points I want to give you, and then I'm going to give you some points under those, but... Two main thoughts, and I want you to try to remember these. If you have to write them down, write them down, but but certainly try to remember these. Because of Calvary, number one, I and you, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, number one, you become a temple of the Holy Ghost. That means He lives inside of you. He resides in this body, in this flesh that we have. He is part of this. Some, some people say, uh, uh, well, I've got to be careful that uh, somebody doesn't see me if I go over here, or somebody doesn't see me if I go over there, or if I do this thing or that thing. The truth is, the Holy Spirit sees it all, because He lives inside of us. And one of the re- biggest problems and truths that, that cause Christians to not live a life that is a godly life, or a holy life, or a life of testimony, is, is the fact that we forget, or we don't like to think about, the fact that the Holy Spirit of God dwells and lives inside of us. He knows what these eyes look at. He knows what these ears hear. When I was a kid in Sunday school, we used to sing the little song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. And that's not a true song. Because He's not up above looking down. He is inside of us and He sees what our eyes see. He dwells inside of us. Oh, be careful little ears. Oh, be careful little feet. Be careful little hands, what you do. And we sing that song. There's a lot of good theology in the fact that we should be careful of these things. We ought to live a life that is pleasing. Paul is is, is frustrated to some degree at this church because they continue. These are Christians. These are folks that ought to know these things. These are things that, I'll be real frank with you, there have been a couple of times in my life... I'll never forget a young man, uh, I think I've shared him here in our church before a few times. Uh, his name was, um, uh, we called him Tim. His name is Tim Butner. He's home with the Lord now. But I remember as a young, uh, young kid, probably about nine, ten years old, this guy came walking into our church one, one Sunday morning and had long hair down to his waist and he, the, the garbage truck had just pulled up and it was the kind that you hung on the back, the guys that hung on the back and flipped the cans. You remember those old ones like that? And uh, he had just spent a whole hot day on, in South Florida uh, loading trash and garbage. And he comes in in his work clothes. He's stinky, smelly, got long hair, got big Coke, Coke, Coke bottle glasses. And he comes walking in the church, and my dad's already up there preaching. And, and he comes back, and he starts walking down the aisle. And our, one of our deacons was sitting in the back row there, which is where most deacons sit in church. <laughs> He's sitting on the back row there. And... Uh, and and he kind of catches this guy because Tim starts walking right down the aisle, and uh, he he says um, 
he says, uh, uh, hey, can I help you? He kind of catches him. He says, hey, can I help you? And Tim, real loud while my dad's preaching, he said, where's the preacher dude? And Brother Dolan said, he's, he's right up there preaching. Thank you, he said. And he starts walking down the aisle. He's going to come up and talk to my dad in the middle of the service. Brother Dolan called him and said, hey, come sit by me. You'll be done in a few minutes. You can talk to him. Long story short, that Thursday night, my dad went to visit Tim in his home. And he led Tim to the Lord, trusted Christ as his Savior after about an hour of sharing the gospel with him. The next Sunday, uh, he came to our church again. I came around the corner uh, from Sunday school getting ready to line up uh, to go up in the choir. And there's this young man sitting there, and he's got this plaid polyester suit on. Three-piece, vest and everything. Tie, striped tie, plaid suit. I don't remember what color shirt, but I remember that. Short hair, cut his hair down, smelled good, had a Bible under his arm. I don't know if it was the right kind, but he had a Bible somewhere he had gotten. Nobody had told Tim, not one person had told Tim, you ought to wear your best to Sunday. Nobody had told Tim, you ought to, you ought to look and, and appear different from the world. Nobody told Tim, hey, you ought to get a Bible and carry it to church with you. He had heard my dad preach on visitation, soul winning we had on Thursday nights, and so that next Thursday night, he showed up right off the garbage truck. As go clothes on, he pulls up. It's time for visitation. He jumps off. My dad said, Tim, you can go with me. First, first night out. He said, you've never been out before? He said, you can go with me. He said, we go two by two. He said, normally, one of us will do the talking. The other one's a silent partner. And he prays while I talk. And Tim said, yes, sir. He said, Tim, I'll do the, I'll do the talking tonight. And that way you can learn how to do this. Tim said, yes, sir, Pastor, I'll do that. And so... They went and visited this young couple, and my dad shared the gospel with this young couple, and they did not trust Christ as their Savior. They, they were very welcoming, and they left the door open. We were very encouraging to my dad that they would be more than happy to have him back in their home again. And they thanked him, and they were getting ready to leave, and they were out at the car getting ready to get in. And the couple was up at the door. And uh, Tim turned around, and he said, I just got to say one word. He said, you lie, you fry, he said. <laughs> it's all that young couple. But he had a heart. He had a heart for those people to trust Christ as their Savior. Nobody put that in him except the Holy Spirit. Tim became one of the greatest soul winners I've ever known. He's going to be responsible for more people being in heaven than any other single person I know of. Loved the Lord. Nobody taught him those things. He just knew. Why? Because when he got saved, the Holy Spirit came into him and made him a new creature. Now, not everybody is that d- distinct and that drastic. But when the Holy Spirit moves in, there are things that He begins to bring to our hearts that we didn't used to know. There's some things we begin to understand that we didn't used to understand. There's some things we get convicted about that we didn't used to be convicted about. I, I, I led a fellow by name name of Brian Maloney, a dear friend of mine, to the Lord a number of years ago, sat in his living room. 40 years of age, 42 years of age, I think, at that time, and trusted Christ as his Savior. Did not know why the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. He knew he came, but he didn't know why. And I shared with him why, and he trusted the Lord as his Savior. About three weeks later, he owned a roofing business. About three weeks later, he was working on a roof with his crew, and he hit, hit the wrong nail with his hammer. You guys know what I'm talking about. And uh, he, he kind of, he's like, oh, that hurts. And he's like going down trying to get something for it to put some ice on it. And his guys all stopped work and started looking at him kind of funny. He looks around and he says, what are you guys looking at? They said, why aren't you cussing? 
He said, any other time I'd have thrown my hammer off the house and started cussing up a storm. He said, I didn't even realize it, Pastor. Is that supposed to happen? I hadn't preached on the fact that a Christian ought not to cuss at that point. Not that he had heard. How did he know that? Because the Holy Spirit of God did something in his heart. A transforming work. And folks, the Bible and God's Word and His Holy Spirit can do a work in the heart of a man that you and I cannot do. And because of Calvary, you and I become a temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, that means some things. First of all, it demands that we live a life of purity and separation from worldly lusts and carnality. It demands that we live a life of purity and separation from worldly lusts and carnality. Why? Because it's His temple. We don't want to defile the temple. In fact, Paul is teaching here, notice what he says in verse number uh, verse number 15. He said, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. And he's, he's using the idea of, of harlotry and, and adultery and fornication here as, as the idea. And he did so many times when he talked to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament when he said that they had committed adultery. And even at one point he said, I've divorced you from this because you've committed fornication with the, the, the ungodly nations around you. <clears throat> and while there was certainly the sin of actual immorality in this church, Paul is trying to get across the idea that once you've given yourself to the Lord... Once you've given your heart to Him and you've put your faith and your trust in Him, don't go and join yourself back to the world again. It's, it may be lawful, but it's not expedient. It may be lawful, but you don't want to be brought under its power. In other words, you're not going to lose your salvation if you sin, but that's no reason to go sin again. It's no reason to go back into the carnality that you were in before you were saved. Why? Because you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. That life now ought to be a life of purity. It ought to be a life of sanctifying the life and, and having a purifying effect. If you take time to read about the Old Testament temple and later or tabernacle and later on the temple, and, and the, 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 the great lengths to which they set apart and sanctified and made sure that everything in that place was as pure as it could possibly be. When the high priest made the sacrifice for the atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel, he would have to bathe himself. And after he had bathed himself and put on a new garment, he could not be touched from another man until the offering had been made, lest he become defiled again. This is the great reverence and respect and purity they demanded in Old Testament worship. We live lives today that are wicked and carnal, and we justify them as saying, well, we just want to try to fit in with the world so we can reach them. My Bible says I'm a temple of the Holy Ghost. And there is a, there is a purity that is required of us. There, there is a sanctification that ought to be taking place. There's a, a separation that ought to be taking place from the, the affairs of this world, the lusts of this world. I shouldn't still be uh, saying the same things I said before I got saved. I shouldn't be looking at the things or listening to the things or going to the places that I used to go before I was saved. I shouldn't even have a heart that longs for those things like they did before it was saved. Unfortunately, we still have the flesh to fight with, but aren't you glad that God at least puts a desire for us to flee those things now? 
when years ago we'd give heart to them and we'd say, well, I'm enjoying this sin. Nowadays we get what's called conviction. The Holy Spirit pricks our hearts and brings that grief to us. We realize, boy, I shouldn't be doing this. Why? Because our life ought to be pure. It ought to be godly. There ought to be something distinct about you. There ought to be something that when somebody looks at your life, they say, there's just something odd about them. There's something distinct about them. It ought to be the fact that you're a holy person, a godly person, a person that has separated himself from the world. Paul uses this illustration of joining to harlot, and he says, should, should I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. God forbid. Keep that life pure. Keep it pure from the things of the world. The next thing, that because we are the temple of God, that it, it causes there to be not only a separation from the world, but a separation to Christ. To not only keep ourselves unspotted from the world, but to pursue after righteousness and holiness. And there is a difference, by the way. You can teach somebody to be a morally good person and not to, not to do the sin of the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're pursuing after the righteousness of God. Look what the Bible says here as we get to verse number uh, 13. Verse number 13, he says, Meats for the belly, and belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the what? For the what? The Lord. And the Lord for the body. Not only are we to flee the fornication, but we're to give our bodies to the Lord. Paul wrote it this way to the Romans in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, not extraordinary, not over the top, but your reasonable, your reasonable service. Again, Paul's, Paul's not understanding why this church isn't getting it. He says, what? Know you not? Don't you know these things? Aren't these things uh, the, the basics? Aren't these things that are apparent to you? It, it's amazing to me that, that you know, it, it, in, in nature, it's amazing to me how, how I watch so many times the birth of an animal. I, was, well, I saw one the other day. Uh, I think it was a, a horse or something that was born, or a cow. It might have been a cow or a deer. Something, something on four legs, but anyway. And it was born, and it came out of the mother, and it's laying there on the ground. And within minutes, within minutes, it's standing up and it's walking around. How did it know that? There's some things that a person just ought to know. And when we get saved, and the Holy Spirit of God comes inside of us, and He makes something new in us, He makes a new life in Christ, and He makes all these things become new, there are things that a Christian shouldn't even have to be shown from Scripture, and you just ought to know. I'm, I'm grateful we have Scripture to help us when we ignore it. But when God does that kind of a transforming work in our lives, there ought to be something about it that causes us to seek after God's righteousness. Not just to forsake the world, but to say, I want to pursue after everything. I, I, I want to be... I want to be so dedicated to the Lord. I want to be so diligent in the things of the Lord. I long for Him. Some people, some people say, well, you're, you're fanatical about it. I hope so. I hope so, because that ought to be the normal for the Christian life. 
to be fanatical about the things of the Lord. To pursue after righteousness and holiness. To say, I want this book to be in my heart. I want it to be engraved on my mind. I, I want to know its words. I want to be able to obey it. I want to be able to, to seek after a, a pleasing God through it. Because I, I owe Him so much. Because I love Him so much for what He has done for me. I don't want to just live my life for Greg. I want to live my life for the Lord. I want to please Him. There ought to be something distinct about us. We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. We need to keep it uncorrupted. We need to keep it pure. We need to pursue after the things of the Lord. Do you know that there were vessels in the temple that were set apart and sanctified for nothing more than the use in the temple? They were very special. They were very sacred vessels. They were set apart just for the use of the temple. Can I tell you this? There ought to be parts of our lives that are just set apart completely for Him. In fact, Paul said it ought to be all of it. There are several areas I think that we ought to be setting apart for the Lord. Number one, I think our time belongs to Him. Our time. I think our time belongs to Him. We oftentimes say, well, Lord, I will be there if I don't have anything better to do. I'll do that if I don't have anything else more pressing to do. Our time ought to belong to Him. I'll say this. Our labor ought to belong to Him. Our labor, what we do for a living, what we do with our work, ought to belong to Him. We ought to, we ought to set it apart for Him. Our affections, the things that we love, the things that we enjoy, ought to belong to Him. I'll say this, and I think this is probably one of the biggest areas that we fail in. Our minds ought to belong to Him. Do you know the greatest sin a Christian, the, the most prominent sin a Christian commits is the sin of the mind? The reason is because we don't think anybody else sees it. But when we understand that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, all of a sudden it changes that. We begin to realize that we need to think on things that are true and just and holy and right and pure. We need to put our mind and focus on these things. By the way, I think the Bible teaches us that, doesn't it? Look with me, if you will, in chapter 3. Just back up a couple chapters here in verse number 9. Because we're the temple of the Holy Ghost, it demands that we labor with God. Look with me in chapter 3, verse number I'm sorry, verse number 5, excuse me. You know, I'm going to back up to verse 1 because I want you to get the context of it. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Let's go to verse 1. I really do want to do verse 1, chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto what? Unto carnal. So he's, he's making distinction here. Hey, I'm having to speak to you like you're carnal. You're not even spiritual yet. Even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I planted, Apollos watered, but God... 
gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers, notice this phrase, together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Because of Calvary, we become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, (coughs) it demands purity. It demands setting our life apart to God and to pursue after the things of God. It demands of us that we labor together with God. We get the great honor and the great privilege to do the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. God could have chosen anything He created to do His work, couldn't He? He could have, unless you don't believe me on that, Jesus Himself said it, did He not? When He was coming into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, and there were people that were criticizing those that were waving the palm branches and crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they said, you need to tell them to hold their, hold their peace. And He said, if these hold their peace, the very rocks will what? Cry out. You think that we're not special? That God gave you and I the wonderful privilege and opportunity of, of doing His work in this world? What an amazing privilege we have. I think some Christians look at it grudgingly and say, boy, I have to do this for the Lord. No, we don't have to. We get to. What a great honor it is to be able to serve the Lord. What a great honor it is to, to live a life that's holy. What a great honor it is to live a life that pursues after Him. This is not something that should be grudging to a Christian to say, oh, i got to obey all the rules and all these standards. Folks, if that's the case, there's something wrong in the heart. Because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, these things are part of it. Because I'm a temple of the Holy Ghost, it demands an accountability. Look with me in chapter 4, if you will. Verse number 1. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. Because I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost, I am accountable to Him. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby judged that he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. I don't answer to men's judgment. I answer to God's. And by the way, so do you. If someone's critical of your life, you're not trying to please man. You're trying to please God. Why? Because you become a temple of the Holy Ghost. He lives inside of you. Demands purity. Demands separation to Christ and from the world. Demands laboring together with God. It demands accountability to God. Because of Calvary, I'm the temple of God. The second thing I want you to get is this. First one is, because of Calvary, I am the temple of God. The second one is, because of Calvary, 
I am delivered from sin. This is something that we so often don't realize. That God has now made a way for us to not be under the bondage of sin. Sin doesn't reign in our mortal bodies anymore. In fact, to the Christian, God has made a way of escape. And how many temptations? All of them. Look with me in chapter 10, if you will, in verse number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because of Calvary, I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. Because of Calvary, I am delivered from sin. Look with it with me in verse number 12 of chapter 10. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. He begins what, a, what a, I believe is one of the great truths to the Christian with a, with a very stern warning. He says, Take heed, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. For those of us who say, well, I don't have to have uh, the strength to stand against temptation because, boy, I've gotten victory over that a long time ago. Boy, those are some of the most dangerous words I think a Christian can ever say. That is certainly the most dangerous attitude a Christian can have. Because it's during those times where we think that we've got the victory, we can handle it ourselves. and God, I don't need your help in this matter. And we become susceptible to it. There hath no temptation taken you, verse 13, but as is common to man, but God is faithful. Boy, aren't we glad of that. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to what? Bear it. Number one, because of Calvary, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Number two, because of Calvary, I have victory over sin. I want to share with you just two or three things real quick about our victory over sin, and then we'll be done. Paul begins with a warning of overconfidence. Overconfidence. There's two things that will bring about an overconfident attitude or an attitude that becomes apathetic or lethargic towards depending on God. One of them is we begin to trust our own flesh. I don't know if it's because of the transforming work that God has done and the amount of sanctification that He's already brought to our lives and causing us to live holy, that maybe we finally pat our own selves on the back and say, boy, I have finally made it. I'm not sure if that's the reason, but for some reason our flesh likes to take credit, doesn't it? And it's not very long before we get to the place where we say, boy, I've, I've had victory over so much sin in my life, it's just not even a battle anymore for me. Boy, that begins to trust the flesh, doesn't it? There's another reason that I believe sometimes we give in to this idea, this warning that Paul gives them. And that is sometimes Christians become tired of God admonishing them all the time. I'll say this, if God is admonishing you so much that you get tired of it, then there's something wrong anyway. I'm thankful He admonishes it. I'm thankful He brings conviction to our hearts. I don't like it any more than you do, but I am thankful for it. And I hope that we don't ever, ever get to the place where we're tired of it. Where we say, Lord, I'm just tired of you always, always convicting my heart about something. I hope He convicts my heart every time I'm wrong. 
I hope He shows me and opens my eyes every time I'm doing something that is against His Word. Because my heart's desire, and I believe it ought to be the heart's desire of every person that's trusted Christ as their Savior. This is one of those things you just ought to know. Your heart's desire ought to be to please Him. We're living in a day where the pews of churches around our country are filled with people who when conviction, true conviction, happens in their hearts, they don't recognize it. They run out of the building saying, I was offended by that. I'll never go back there again. Folks, it wasn't a being offended. It was the Holy Spirit trying to say, you need to get it right. You need to take care of this. We called it old-fashioned conviction years ago. It used to be something that we would become broken over. It used to be something that we'd say, Oh, Lord, help me in this area. I, I need your strength. I, I shouldn't have this in my life, or I should have this in my life, and I haven't been. And, Lord, I, I need to get this thing settled. Now we say, I don't like that. It hurts my feelings. And we run away from it. And I tell you this, Paul warns them. He says, let he that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. We have a warning of overconfidence, but then we have a promise of escape. And I'm thankful for this one, aren't you? Sad to say we don't take advantage of this as often as we should. Because we ought to take advantage of it every single time. But there are still times that the old flesh nature won't take advantage of it, isn't there? There hath no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. You can't excuse it away and say, well, Pastor, you just don't understand. God's got to understand. Nobody's ever had to do go through this temptation that I'm going through. No, no. We've all been through it. It's common. Temptation comes to men. In fact, the Bible says that our Lord was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. We have a high priest that is, the Bible says that we have not a high priest that's not touched with the feeling of our infirmities, meaning he understands and knows what we go through. He's been through temptation just like you and I have. He's been through sorrow. He's been through pain. He understands. And yet he still makes a way of escape. Notice the Bible says, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Some people take that portion of the verse, He will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. And they say, that tells me that God will never put a burden on me that's greater than I can handle. That's not what it's saying here. He's saying that there will be no temptation that is put on you that is more than you can handle because He will always make a way of escape. Paul got to a point where he was under such burden one time that he said, I weary of life. It's too great of a burden until he turned to the Lord. So there will be times God may put more on you than you can handle. And He does that for such a time for you to turn to Him for the strength. But when it comes to temptation, He has made a way every single time. He'll never suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be 
able to bear it. Last week we taught from God's Word how to be saved very clearly. I'm not sure why God put them in that order. Maybe to lay a foundation for this. But when we trust Christ as our Savior and we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. I become a temple of the Holy Spirit and so did you. That demands some things of us. It demands a holy life. It demands a life of pursuing after the things of God. It demands a life that labors together with God. It demands a life of accountability to God. But because of Calvary, not only am I the temple of the Holy Ghost, but I have also been delivered from sin. I am not under its power anymore. I'm not under its reign. God has made a way. If I choose to take it every single time for me to escape the temptation. That kind of puts it back on us when we sin, doesn't it? That kind of makes it to where we're the ones that make the choice to sin. Which, by the way, we do. I'm thankful that the Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was listening to a preacher uh, this week, and he's, he quoted that verse. And he said, he said a lot of times preacher, uh, people will come and they'll say, Boy, I confessed my sin to the Lord. And he said, I don't know why you did that, because God says, what sin? When it comes to our eternal destination of heaven, God does not see our sin. He sees the record of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when it comes to our fellowship and relationship with God, He absolutely knows it. When he says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he was talking to Christians there. He's talking to those who had broken fellowship with him by a life that had lived, been lived carnally. Because of Calvary, I am a temple of the Holy Ghost. And so are you. And that brings certain things to light that oftentimes we don't like to consider, we don't like to think about. Because if I am a temple of the Holy Ghost, I've got to live a pure life. I've got to pursue after it. I've got to have a heart for it. I've got to pursue after the things of the Lord. I want to honor Him and make Him happy. The greatest joy of the Christian life is finding ways to please God. Because I'm a temple of the Holy Ghost, I'm to labor with God, and I'm to be accountable to God. We're living in a day where Christians need to know these truths. They need to be reminded of them. The truth is, we know them. I think instinctively we know them. The moment we get saved, we know them. We need to be reminded of them. And I think that this, more than being reminded of them, we need to recommit ourselves to them 